Welcome to the latest episode of Maps Journey. Elliot welcomes a very special guest, Zach, who is a registered offender as well as a member of the map community. At the young age of 19, Zach made a mistake that got him placed on the sex offender registry. While Zach takes ownership of his past behavior, he also believes that his case was complicated by the fact that it was a contactless crime, meaning that it did not involve physical contact with another person. He suspects that it may have been a police sting operation, which highlights the complexities of navigating the legal system, and the impact it can have on a person's life. In addition, Zach talks about how being isolated might have led to him making a poor decision, and he shares the difficult process of accepting responsibility for his behavior. He discusses how finding a support network of friends and family was critical in his journey of healing and rebuilding his life. Through it all, Zach's story is a testament to the power of resilience, empathy, and understanding, and a reminder that everyone deserves a second chance. In this episode, he shares his journey of facing the challenges of life on the registry and finding ways to move forward and create a fulfilling life for himself. Join us for this powerful conversation about life after the sex offender registry, how individuals on the registry can find hope and rebuild their lives while taking ownership of their past mistakes, the complexities of navigating the legal system, and the importance of community and connection in preventing harm. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm really thankful and grateful for the opportunity that you've given me to share my story, and I'm really thankful for this podcast. It's an amazing resource. Well, thanks, you know, and I, I'm, I'm grateful you're willing to come on because, as I talked about in the last podcast with Jay, um, I, I fully understand why people are weary, but it's always nice to have another uh, map perspective on besides Todd and I rambling all the time. So, <laughs> so. Yeah, the more the merrier. I mean, I would love it for everybody to eventually feel like they could share their stories, their voice, because everybody's story is unique. And yeah. um, the more voices we have, I think the better just to present a certain to to present ourselves because we're all unique. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that, so like before we get into the nitty gritty of what this episode is going to be about, um, I thought we might just get to know you a little bit better. Obviously, don't say anything that will reveal your identity, of course. But um, I, I just feel like I, I recently talked to a friend of mine who's a therapist, and she said that the one thing she dislikes about us um, being all right with calling ourselves pedophiles or hebophiles or whatever is that if we just use that word, we're using that word to define all of us. And she said it's better to phrase it, uh, hi, I'm, you know, Elliot, I, I have pedophilia, I have hebophilia. That way, it's not all of you. It's, you know, it's more a part of you, which I, I liked. So, yeah, absolutely. But. It's not like people that know us in real life know that this is just one aspect of who we are. It's not yeah. like the be all and end all. <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I thought it'd be good to uh, quote unquote humanize you before we got into the details. So, uh, yeah. So feel free to share whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. So my name is Zach. Um, I'm 38. I'll be 39 in, in the fall, but I'm 38 right now. Um, 
and I am American. Um, my hobbies, interests, I am one of those rare maps, I guess, that really love sports. Most are into like anime and, you know, more artistic expressions, but I just love watching sports, the NBA, but I love, I love basketball, hockey, um, baseball is a huge passion of mine, football, the NFL. Um, and I also, um, enjoy like collecting baseball cards. It's kind of a side hobby of mine and I don't get too in depth with it. I mean, but I do have thousands of cards right now. Dude, um, dude, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought it was when you brought up baseball cards, I thought, do they still put that, uh, stale gum in the baseball card pack? <laughs> no, I think that was, a, that was, uh, indicative of like the 1980s junk wax era. And yeah. maybe in the 90s, too, which is kind of funny because I'm a kid from the 80s, but I never really got too much into baseball cards until later on in life. So it's a nice um, it's a nice little hobby I enjoy. Um, I don't really trade with anybody. I just kind of I see a card I like and then I'll like buy it or sometimes I'll buy packs if I have the money and stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm into like television shows. I really I'm not too into romance movies and stuff but i like you know all sorts of genres of films um i'm a pretty boring person honestly i don't really go to the gym and exercise and things like that but i i hold down a job um i have a cat that i love and um i just i i'm trying to get more into like creative writing too i'd like to actually maybe one day get something published, a short story or even a novel, um, kind of like what Todd does, I, you know, so. Yeah, that'd yep. be great. And we have the resource of uh, Sheila to uh, help you edit it. So she's she always edits my blogs and stuff like that. So, so yeah. But, well, that's um, great, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I was thinking in my head joking around when you said you you're not like most maps of of liking anime and stuff like that i was going to be like well nope sorry not a true map sorry don't believe it. <laughs> i know I, I better i better turn in my map card now because i guess i don't fit all the check boxes <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I i like watching football and soccer and stuff like that but i don't really get too engrossed and i've never done like the competitive gambling over it or whatever like that so, but yeah um so uh a little bit i guess now unless you wanted to say something else i'm sorry that... no we can go on okay yeah i just wanted to uh talk a little bit more about with your uh you being a map like uh, what your age of attraction is and gender and stuff like that so i know some people like to know those things um yeah so um i'm almost i'm exclusive i'm an exclusive um map and it can stretch a little bit younger but my primary aoa is boys from about four to 12 or 13. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, I I like saying that it's almost like a calling card. I know general public don't <laughs> does it understand that, but <laughs> yeah, for, for all the map listeners out there, there there we go. <laughs> it's like what are, it's like one of the first things you kind of want to know about another map is oh, what's your AOA? You know, because it's yeah. like and it's kind of fun when you meet somebody that kind of shares a very similar AOA to you. It's just like oh yeah, you get me. <laughs> 
we could i mean i don't know we definitely i think we need a few few of us to come on the episode to have it be interesting but it'd be cool to like have a bunch of different people of us like uh talk about in general terms so again we don't freak people out <laughs> but <laughs> right but, uh, just like why we we picked that age um mm. why it's important to us because yeah it, it i talked to some who considers themselves a lot young, younger like the nepio foul age and i actually just find it intriguing i just i yeah. just want to know yeah but yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody seems to a lot of a lot of sexologists have theories as to why somebody might be stuck on a certain um, age of attraction and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, I think like I had a therapist and they would go into, well, maybe you were kind of like that's when your your psychosexual development might have been arrested in that like age range. So that's why that's why um, you're kind of geared towards that specific range i suppose and it yeah. kind of there's some sense in that yeah it kind of makes sense to me too because i know with my age dysphoria um the age that i wish i could be is normally generally around what my age of attraction is which is around like 7 to 14 so it's within that range that i wish i i could go back to so it makes sense so. yeah i agree i'm i'm kind of the same way um I never even really thought about age dysphoria as a personal concept that I could um, identify with. But through your podcast and other people talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I always felt it, but obviously I had no clue what to call it. And it, it took joining the community for me to fully start understanding what it was and how many of us have that same type of feeling and thought so it, again it feels good not to be so alone yeah I, I once heard it called the peter pan syndrome as well mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of ironic <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. all right so well um there's was it anything else you wanted to uh say I, I guess we can get into the heart of it um sure yeah let's go so like this is like, I guess, start around what age you were when when the offense happened and then like just go into as much detail as you feel comfortable about talking. Yeah. So um, back in December of 2000, um, I was a freshman at Bible College. I was 19 years old. I had just turned 19 and I was arrested at the college um, and it was a contactless crime, but I was officially charged with, it was a, it was ended up being a class D felony and I was officially charged with disseminating indecent material to a minor. I had never met this person in my life. We never even talked on the phone. I tend to even think based on what some people close to the case told me that it might have been a police officer that I had been chatting with. And essentially what happened was I had um, emailed or sent like in instant chat some pornographic pictures of adult males, so gay porn essentially, because um, the person that I had been chatting to, and according to the case, it was a 14-year-old boy that I had been chatting to. Um, they had 
insistently been wanting to wanting for me to share like gay porn with them. And I was like, okay, I'll oblige. So that's essentially um, what happened. And subsequently, I was um, caught involved in in that crime. And I'm not I'm not denying that it was a crime. And I feel very bad about the entire situation. If I could go back and never have done that, believe me, I would. And not just because of the punishment, but just in terms of if that was an actual child, I, I feel horrible about kind of violate, violating those boundaries and, and such. So, um, yeah, so it happened. You know, I, I like the whole situation was um, I was the, the whole like the day of the arrest. I was actually it was like a Monday morning. And I was in a class and all of a sudden the assistant to the dean got my attention and um, I went with her to the dean's office and then there were two detectives there ready to arrest me. And I think just it was a really, obviously it was a horrible day, horrible time in my life. And if you want, we could like talk about like maybe the events leading up to that was going on. Yeah, again, like, you know, I think it will give a little bit of, you know, um, framework around it, maybe just like why, you know, was the way you handled your attraction back then different than it is now? And do you think that had anything to do with it? And, you know, maybe it was just the way you viewed things differently, because I know you consider yourself anti-contact now. So, mm-hmm. you know, yep. yeah, so. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like, back then, like I said, I was 19. And this was, you know, 2000, and I hadn't joined up with any uh, pedophile community whatsoever. I was completely isolated with this. There wasn't a soul I could talk to about this. I had to kind of really keep it bottled deep inside. And so I was isolated. I was really ignorant about the law in many ways, like, I mean, I knew it, what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't understand the severity of the crime, the consequences that would lead to it. And I was just really depressed. Um, I just felt at this Bible college, I felt so completely inadequate and inferior to everybody else, you know, <laughs> damaged. I felt truly damaged in many ways. And I think I used, um, I used, um, like pictures of kids and then chatting um, as an escape from some of the mental anguish that I was going through. Mm-hmm. Did anyone know in your family at the time? Uh, yeah, yeah. My my parents knew. Um, I'm not sure if my brother did, but basically when I was 15, I was away at uh, a Bible conference of some sort for a week. And, um, so I was away at that and I had time, like the way the technology was, but like put pictures on floppy disks. So, um, I had, um, legal pictures, I should say, but like kid, like boys in, you know, swimwear and things like that all on floppy disks. And my mom went into my room, noticed this whole stack of disks by my bed. And I thought I'd hid them, but you know, I think she was she was snooping a little bit. And so when I was 15, they found out and I felt like my world shattered. But at the same time, I somehow was able to explain it away as just mere homosexuality. 
and mm-hmm. nothing more than that. So I somehow was able to explain it as to this is just a phase I'm going through. It doesn't mean anything. You have to like trust me on this. It's never going to happen again. And I did my best to sweep it under the rug. And I think they also didn't want to deal with this in any supportive way. So um, it just kind of got swept under the rug. And then, but obviously it didn't, the, the issue was not resolved. And, you know, it manifested later on, I think. Yeah. One thing I keep on hearing you bring up, and again, uh, for all those listeners out here, there that are uh, are believers in whatever faith you are, I'm not downplaying it, but I know that it it can be a factor in many um, cases where people are comfortable talking about anything about their sexuality because of their religion, and so for you, it probably, obviously, you could talk about you having. Um, attraction to minors you know how you explained it away with it being homosexuality it it still had to be difficult for you and I'm sure for your parents too because that's like something that's not normally talked about in a religious home yeah absolutely not and um, I was already even before when I was 15 like there was like kind of caught with this stuff but even when I was like when I was 12 I had, um, this was like in the day and age when there were like clothing catalogs and I would take scissors and cut out of the clothing catalogs, all the pictures of the cute boys that, um, were, that I, I, that were in the catalogs and I'd hide them in books I had. And, you know, my mom found those at one point and, um, I don't really remember what I said to get out of that one, but I, I mean, I, I think I just said like, oh, I'm using them as characters in the stories I'm reading, you know, is a, is a way to better visualize characters. And I mean, I doubt that she really believed that, but it's better yeah. to like believe the lie than to accept the truth. Yeah. So, do, you th- um, do you think in some ways you wanted to be found out and maybe you, you were, careless about where you left those things even though you thought you were being careful i think it was i think i think that was it's very likely um i think i just wasn't that cunning (laughs) you know honestly i just i don't think i'm not like i know some people are much more cautious and aware of the implications surrounding their sexuality and if they were to be caught you know i just don't think i had the foresight to really think too hard about it. And I think it really was, you know, in many ways, going back to the whole thing with the college, when I was in college, I definitely think that was a cry for help because I was dying so much inside that I felt like I, I really believe that on a subliminal subconscious level, this was like a cry for help. Maybe if somebody, in this case, the law intervened, the situation could finally be out in the open and I could, you know, maybe get the help that I really desperately needed. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and that's the thing. It's like for most of us, we don't think therapy is an option because we know about mandatory reporting laws. So we think if we go see a therapist that instantly they would assume that we're a threat. So I think a lot of us think that the only way we can ever get help is if the law gets involved, which sucks because then 
there's so many other things that happen because of that and your your life is definitely altered because of it and so i don't know how much yours was because of that or how how much it affects you still to this day or what yeah so like the aftermath of my arrest was um i didn't have to go to prison um i had a competent lawyer that was able to argue that I am a first-time offender. I do have a support system in place at my house so that, you know, something like this will never happen again. And it never, obviously it never has happened again. But so what happened was I didn't have to go to jail, but I did have to register as a level one um, sex offender for, for, uh, for 20 years. So I believe I will be eligible to not be on the sex offender registry in 2021. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. Um, but I did have to endure five years of probation. Uh, my probation officer would show up um, random times throughout the week, sometimes twice a week even, you know, never announced, of course. And um, this was more so before, before I turned 21. So he would show up at my house and I had, even though my crime in no way was related to alcohol or drugs, I would have to um, do a breathalyzer test. And it was just kind of funny in a way, like, okay, I have, I don't even drink, but I think they just wanted to get to, to um, catch me breaking the law in some way. Um, And um, I, so I was on probation for five years. I had to attend uh, mandatory sex offender group therapy. And that was, I didn't like that because a lot of the men, and I believe it was all men. I don't know if even if they have like co-ed group therapy for sex offenders, but in my case, it was all other men and they all tended to be significantly older than me. And most of them were, um, contact offenders so i felt um i didn't feel like this was an appropriate group for me but that's that was the situation so let's see and i also had to and this is still true to this day is i have to report all of my social media accounts um all of my um email addresses so i have to notify them if there's any change to those um, and that was, uh, yeah, um, let's think here, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, I don't have any like regulations when it comes to where I can live. I know some people have to worry about that, but yeah, but basically it's still, my life is kind of screwed up because like good job that I would want to have some mandatory background check. And a lot of times they'll see that. And so you're marked for life in a sense, you have this scarlet letter with s and o printed on your forehead and um you know it's very hard to like recover from something like that because you really are damaged goods in the eyes of potential employers sometimes yeah and i i I definitely i'm not saying what you did wasn't wrong don't you know don't get me wrong i i definitely feel that there needed to be some type of intervention but the whole fact that it stays on your record for as long as it does when it was a mistake you made at 19 years old. I mean, think about how many other mistakes you made that weren't 
You could like, you could run over somebody in a drunken rage yeah. and at nineteen, eighteen, and yeah. you might serve some time, you probably would, but yeah. you know, you're not gonna be on any registry. And most most employers would even be like, Oh, I get it, you know, you were stupid at that age, everybody makes mistakes, it's terrible. Yeah. But let's move on. But with something like this, and it's, I'm not even talking about jobs where I'd be working with kids. I'm just yeah. talking about jobs where I'd ha I'd have a nice office job where I could like maybe advance in the company and such as mm -hmm. things like that. And it's like, no, Fortune 500 companies won't even touch you. Yeah, and it's you like know? I get why the registry was originally created. Don't you know? I I fully understand that, but I just think that it has morphed into something completely different that. It, it does it serve the purpose that it originally was designed to do. Yeah, I agree. And I think like I, I'm all for like law enforcement knowing who people are and what they've done. So if there's somebody who was like um, a predator, I think the, the police should know what they're doing. But I don't think it's necessary. What purpose does it serve for the general public? Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, like especially with living in your life out in peace it's like yeah most of the times those registry websites from what i understand don't really list what you did it's more just that you're a offender so people always assume the worst so they're going to treat you like you're the worst so. yeah and i am i am fortunate in a sense because um because i am a level one uh my name my address where i work is not public knowledge yeah. Um, to find out about a level one sex offender, you have to actually have an, a reason. You have, to, um, you have to know certain things about the person beforehand to actually look them up in the first place. Yeah. So um, it is a little bit different for level ones compared to twos and threes. Uh, but still, you know, it's, it's kind of a terrible situation to be in. Yeah. I know there's a lot of um registry reform going on right now by some people who you would never think would be advocating for it um so like i like i definitely hope that in the next few years we definitely see see the change and still be able to protect kids but also give people a chance to live out their life and get a second chance you know? yeah absolutely and i think like especially for first-time offenders i you know and and depending on the circumstances it shouldn't even be like like prison or um you know any kind of registry requirements it should be like intervention like therapeutically where somebody can like discover what led up to that and maybe get um treatment that actually like um is restorative and not like punitive yeah i really feel like that especially for non-contact offenses, because I know for most people, they don't want to be doing what they're doing, but they don't know how to stop because they, they've tricked their brain into thinking that, that that's something they, they want to do. And um, I, I it's just, I feel like in those cases, you definitely should be given the option of therapy over legal issues being, you know, yeah, out. and I really believe like if I had if I had um, discovered the the NOMAP community uh, prior to my time at college, things would be vastly different. Um, yeah. 
you know, because I'd really be getting the support I need. Um, and I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm excusing what I did, but I'm just saying like, when you feel like you're totally isolated and there's nobody that can relate, you feel like, what's the point of, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's just like, it really I mean, helps, like support helps, social support helps. Yeah, it's definitely the whole thing of like, what what do I have to lose type of mentality, you know, it's like, yeah. if, if someone finds out about me, they're going to treat me the same, so I might as well just do what I want to do. I mean, instead of offering support and help that you feel like you're going to be judged. So you don't seek it. And so, which is like the worst thing you could do. And I, for both of us, given we're around the same age, I'm 41, you're 38. Like we were brought up in a time where what is out there now, was it even a possibility? I mean, yeah. like there was, 12-step groups, obviously, and stuff like that, but I, I went to a 12-step group for a while, and no matter what I heard other people talk about, I could never, like, think about saying, oh, by the way, I, you know, I'm attracted to children. Like, it, it, it just was it something I thought they could take, even though some of them, some of the things they would talk about would be things I would never think about doing, but you know, that was still, because it was consenting adults and stuff like that, it, it people don't look at it as like a you know anything bad but yeah it's just a messed up system but it is like, and there's just so much stigma there's just so much stigma surrounding something that is you know in in uncontrolled it's it, it's like an orientation you can't yeah you can't um if you have an attraction to like minors you can't pray it away you can't yeah you know, pretend it doesn't exist. And if you do pretend it doesn't exist, I think it's, it's more harmful rather than just acknowledging it. And, you know, where do I go from here then? Yeah. And like, I, I have some people who, who know, who know I'm not like non-exclusive and they, they know that I'm attracted to females, but my primary attraction is my minor attraction. And so I know I've been told that if I, I focus more on the, um, the age appropriate attraction with females, that the minor attraction won't be such a big deal. But even if say I fall in love with someone and totally am physically attracted to them and all that stuff, that minor attraction is never going away. And if, if I can't deal with it, it's always going to be on the back of my mind. And I don't know if I would be a, a good person to be in a relationship if I wasn't able to talk about it. Yeah, there's something to be said about living your truth and just accepting that about yourself and letting other people in that can also get where you're coming from and you don't have to hide anything, you yeah. know. That that's a big part of it, you know, keeping trying keeping secrets from people and trying to pretend like everything's okay is a dangerous game to play. Yeah, I know, you know, before I came out to my parents and my brother there every day that I dealt with my attraction in secret, I prayed that somehow I would be discovered. I both wanted it to happen but also dreaded it happening but i just didn't think i could ever be open to anyone and so 
like it was sheer torment every single day. Mm-hmm. And, yep. he, and I mean, even after my family did know, I still didn't feel comfortable talking to him about it. Um, and so I was living in this world where, you know, I could talk to my therapist, but I still felt like I was living a duality of a life. It, it just, so now that I have this, this community of, of, you know, people that I can talk to and express my feelings to it, it, you know, it has made my life so much better just in a year's time. So it's actually like kind of what I wanted to ask you, like you, you started talking about it a little bit, but like, how is your life different now than back when you were 19? And what do you want to like instill on people to do if they are that 19 year old about to make that same mistake that you did? Yeah, and everybody's different, but um, now, you know, I'm 38, and it took me a long time, but I have this, I have an inner peace in me now, and a part of it kind of plays into the fact that I'm never going to re-offend. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to have anything to do sexually with breaking that trust with a child. So I know that I like who I am. I, I know I'm a good person, even though I might have an attraction that is stigmatized and misunderstood. Um, I have this inner peace within me and I can joke about it with friends that are also maps can um, in, enjoy in, in a way like not hate your, I don't hate myself. Um, and I mean, some, some maps do, and that's, that's, you know, their thing but with me i'm i'm okay with it and i've accepted that this is the way it's going to be um and i'm at the point where i'm just going to be out as much as i can be because i feel like for me that's important i want to um i want to tell the world that you can be a no map and you can live your life. You can you can have a life essentially. Um, and compared to like when I was, like I said, like when I was nineteen, I didn't I didn't have any money. I didn't have anybody, even though I desperately wanted friends. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just so wonderful. If you're struggling with isolation and fear, there's resources if you're um i believe if you're 18 or older you can join up with uh verped um and i would definitely recommend that and there's like support groups online so there is a whole nowadays there's a whole like online nomap community that you can be a part of and people i think initially when you join up they might be a little bit like you know, apprehensive, but you know, not everybody, but some people, but once they get to know you, they're going to embrace you and you're going to find this, this home where people care about you. And, um, it's really a wonderful thing. Yeah, definitely. It's been a year since I joined the community. It was the year end of February. And, um, I am so glad I took that risk and did that first podcast with, uh, Candace on the prevention project. And, I, you know, before I did it, I thought I was being catfished. I thought that um, this <laughs> yeah. whole prevention project thing was set up to, uh, you know, be the next Chris Chris Hansen to catch a predator <laughs> type thing. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I kept on waiting for her to say, 
have a seat. <laughs> well, it, it is. It, it's it's so foreign to have non maps actually want to help you and stand in your corner and see you know and and hear your story and yeah. and and show respect you know and yeah. not condemnation that's so foreign but yeah. i mean i'm glad it's starting to change i mean i love the prevention podcast and i love what you do and um i love the maps irl podcast because it's just so great to have some resources where you can actually if you're a map and you don't feel like you have anybody in your life you have these podcasts that you can listen to where people are like you and it's just really comforting to not feel so alienated as a result of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I uh, I participate in this monthly call with uh, other minor attracted people and um, therapists. And this therapist that was on the call yesterday, she says that her her practice is getting enough notice that a twelve year old boy felt comfortable enough to contact her. And you know, wanting assistance, mm. and I'm thinking, could you imagine you or I at 12 years old contacting a therapist saying, "Oh, by the way, I, you know, I'm attracted to kids." Like that, that definitely not that would have never happened back then. And so yeah. I'm just so glad it's changing in that direction. Oh, absolutely. When I was 12, I was, or maybe more like 13, but you know, around that age, I was, I was crying myself to sleep at night and praying to God to take this away from me and i really you know there were a few the first few times i felt like oh, i'm gonna pray really hard and i'm gonna be obviously really sincere and when i wake up in the morning everything yeah. will be you know fresh everything be as though this never exists in the first place and i'll be quote unquote normal and i and that was like that's that was my coping mechanism is i'll just pray the pray the gay away but you know in this <laughs> case pray the pray the pedophilia away you know and um you know, obviously, it's it's not that simple. Nope. Um, so I, I I agree with you. I mean that that's my hope too is that you know the stigma can end, um, mm -hmm. that anybody who needs help can feel very very comfortable going to a, a a therapist or a counselor, and if the counselor doesn't even know how to deal with it they can present resources. So they'll be, they'll know right at the top of their head, oh, well, I know this person that I can refer you to and they'll intervene and help. And I mean, that I want it to be as easy for an LGBT teen to get help as it would be for a MAP teen to get help. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know there's all those people out there who are so thinking that we're trying to get the P added and I, I don't know <laughs> where the other. So <laughs> that's definitely not what we're saying. We just want the same ability to be accepted as that, that you know, the same. Like I, I have this phrase where I like to say I'm trying to normalize compassion and understanding is what I'm trying to normalize, you know, out of this whole thing. And so. Exactly. And there, you know, it is changing. It doesn't seem like it. You go on Twitter and you're inundated with the, the anti-hate and bigotry, but there are a lot of intelligent people that are beginning to understand that just because we have this attraction doesn't automatically make us bad people. 
you know, and most of us, you know, obviously do not want to hurt anybody, especially not a child. So they're coming around they're realizing, yeah, like these people have this fortunate attraction. So what, what do we do about it? How do we humanely deal with this situation? Yeah. And it's like you saying about normal people outside of Twitter. I think that's pretty much the world. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. But but I'm not, I mean, Twitter was good for me in the beginning because I found a ton of friends that I still talk to today, but I definitely feel like there is definitely a good outside resource besides Twitter to go to for this. And like, also you were saying about this people like Candace and stuff treating us as normal individuals. I like, what she says, we're a human being first, we're not a human doing. And, um, you know, I really liked how she phrases that. And I have uh, two non-MAP friends that I talk to on a regular basis, and uh, it just blows my mind how accepting they are about how much I reveal to them about my attraction and that they don't look at me in disgust or judge me, whereas my own brother thinks that I'm capable of the worst. So it, it it's definitely a good thing that I have those people out there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I I mean it just it comes down to like when you share your story, when you live your truth, it's it's so incredibly difficult. But people are going to hopefully respond positively. Yeah, you're gonna get some hate, but if they know you and you let them get to know you um, you know, those, those barriers and that stigma can be abolished and, um, it just takes, and I'm not saying don't, don't come out if you're not ready trust me, don't do that. But at the same time, like there are people that will love you regardless. And it's, I, I feel like that's happening more and more where people, there's more resources and, there's more information out there. Um, and I'm really you, thankful about that. Yeah. Do you think if uh, you had all these resources back when you were 19, do you think what happened would have happened? I definitely don't think it would have. I really don't. I mean, you're 19 and you're, you know, you're, you have all these, like all the sexual tension and stuff. But if I had, the information and the support I could have like learned to deal with that a lot better. That's for sure. Because like with my situation, I didn't even really have the internet in my, in my life until I kind of got to college. So all of a sudden I had like quote unquote freedom to explore and indulge in whatever I wanted to. And I was just, I was like, just so, um, it's almost like a battlefield in many ways. Like life is a battlefield. And if you don't, if you don't have the armor, if you're not equipped to deal with adversity and to deal with the trap doors that are all around you, you know, if you don't have like that trap door detector, which I think the Nomap community can provide, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get blown away, you know, blown up in, in a negative way. And and, you know, I think, um, and like with, with my situation, I, after I was arrested, I kind of, kind of fell into the, the pro contact camp because that's really all there was. And it took me a while to kind of 
understand that it's a wrong ideology, it's a wrong philosophy to have. And like you said, it was all that was out there. I mean, I know when I first, like you said, discovered the battlefield, quote unquote, um, like that's all I found too. And even though I never fully believed it, 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 it's definitely plays on your mind and definitely tricks you. And so I'm just so glad that there's other resources out there now. And like, I know, I don't know how prominent it is in actually working, but I know I've heard some um, companies that are trying to work in conjunction with like the different search engines where if you search for um, CSEM material or something, it will actually redirect you to more of a help site than it, you know, give you any results that could lead you down a dark path. So I definitely hope that happens more and more. So. Yeah, that's great. And we we need stuff like that. Um, it just uh, I I despise real CSEM so much. I just I hate it with a with a holy passion because these are these are kids being abused, and you know those those images never go away. And it, so they're they're being revictimized, and it's it's in their in their life is being ruined in many cases, absolutely destroyed. Um, yeah. and so it's, it's, it's horrible and man, I just wish, I just wish somehow we could just, I guess, snap my fingers and it would never show up again. It would all be gone. Yeah. And like you said, like the people who get re-victimized by, I read this one victim story where he says that anytime he's out on the street, he yeah. wonders if, if someone looks at him a long time, if they saw what happened to him as a child Yeah, and like. I, I cannot imagine that, like living your life that way. And oh, it's horrible. Yeah. And I'm I'm also glad that they redefined the verbiage of CSEM, like because child pornography doesn't really um fit what it is because pornography means that it, it's a consenting type thing and child children definitely can't consent. Yeah, and I mean it, I like I like the E in that because it's exploitation it's exploitation yeah. pure and simple and it's 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 <laughs> these kids are um they're being victimized and they're being exploited they just they don't they don't ask for any of that it's terrible yeah. um so yeah like we need to start going after the people that are actually making this stuff that would just, i mean i know we are as a society we're going after them but i think more of the um more of the resources and efforts should be directed at the people that are, you know, distributing it and um, definitely producing it. That's for yeah. sure. And the help should be given to the people who follow victim interviewing it, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't want to end on two negative notes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Is there any other things you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Um, let me think. Um, yeah, like I did want to kind of mention because I am, I do have an exclusive attraction to boys. Um, so like, how do you deal with being exclusive? And one of the things like I kind of alluded to it in the past, but one of the things I really, I, I distract myself with sports. I can just, I can like plant myself in front of the TV or I can go to a game. And, um, I can just kind of 
zone out and, and enjoy the competition. Or I can like read a really good novel. I really like Stephen King. So there's, it's all about, it's, it's first of all, it's being okay with yourself. And then it's like realizing that acting out with a kid is like never an option. So you don't want you just accept that that's never an option. It can't happen. Just <laughs> put it behind you and don't look back and then just live your life. Get, get good supportive friends. And if you want to see like a, a counselor or a therapist for other issues or that issue, you know, there's help out there too, but don't, it's, it's not a death sentence. That's my point. It's not, it's tough, but you can overcome it. You know, you yeah. can, you can be happy. You can be fairly at peace. You just, just get the right people in your life and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I, uh, you bringing this up maybe because we didn't focus on it till the end, maybe you could come back on and we can do an episode on being exclusive because, you know, I, I consider myself non-exclusive, but I'm finding more and more as I am working through everything and talking to the community, how much more um, exclusive I am and know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> yeah. At least I could uh, be honest with myself and not, you know, fool myself into thinking that I, I'm something I'm not. So yeah, maybe we can uh, focus on that on another episode or something. So. Yeah, that would be great, Elliot. I'd really appreciate that. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again and sharing your story and being as honest as you felt comfortable with. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Yep. And I uh, will catch you on the flip side, as they say. <laughs> okay, take care, buddy. All right, bye. We hope that this episode has provided valuable insights into the experiences of those who have been placed on the sex offender registry and the challenges they face in rebuilding their lives. Through our guest Zach's story, we saw the importance of providing support and understanding to those who have made mistakes in the past. His experience highlights the complexity of the legal system and the need for greater understanding and acceptance of non-violent contactless offenses. We also heard about the challenges that the MAP community faces and the need for greater empathy and understanding. Ultimately, we hope that this episode serves as a reminder to approach difficult topics with empathy and compassion. By listening to the stories of those who have been placed on the registry, we can better understand the challenges they face and work towards creating a more just and equitable society. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we hope you will tune in again as we further discuss all aspects of the MAP community.